Hi guys, this is the Hacker Room podcast. Today we have Adam Todd with us, who is the founder and CEO of Digitex Futures. And we'll be talking about the cryptocurrency space in general, about Bitcoin, obviously. We'll be talking about what it takes to build a cryptocurrency exchange of your own. We know that there is a lot of things going around in terms of this is what you could do. There are people who are selling matching engines. There are people who are selling front ends. We want to hear it from the horse's mouth as to like what it takes to build everything up from scratch. Fun fact about Adam, when he was 19 years old, he started trading futures. And from there, he moved on to trading on horse pets and stuff like that. And now he is, after a long time, looking at cryptocurrencies as something that could be the next big thing for him and for all of us. At this point, I'd let Adam take the lead and let us know a bit about himself, his background, how he got into crypto and what excites him. Hi, mate. Well, uh, thanks for the introduction. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Um, yeah, well, like you say, I started off uh, trading futures when I was very young. I was in the pit, uh, trading German government bonds mostly. Um, didn't have a friggin' clue what a German government bond was, but it went up and it went down, so we bought and we sold it. Um, did that for a few years, then went traveling, just got completely burnt out by uh, pit trading. Uh, was traveling for five or six years, and then came back, went on the screens, you know, futures trading on the screens, then discovered um, betting exchange trading. There's, uh, while I've been traveling, this new thing called Betfair, Betfair.com. It's the biggest bet betting exchange in the world. Basically, it's, it's very much like a futures market. It's everyone's betting with each other and you can buy and sell bets effectively. So I figured out I could buy and sell bets just before the horse race started without knowing anything about the horse, without watching the races. So I did that for years and years. Um, and then from there, that's when I discovered um, cryptocurrency. You know, I'd always had this idea in my head that, you know, if a zero fee futures exchange would be great. Never really knew how that would work. It was just an idle thought. Um, and then when I discovered Ethereum and the ability to create your own token, and I thought, oh, we could have our own currency and we could mint that instead of charging transaction fees. And that's when the whole ridiculous idea just came to life and it all carried on from there. So that's that's the, the brief, how I got into it. This is nice. And I'd like to back up uh, hear a bit and want to know about what is it that you call a pet trader? Like I understand futures, like a futures trader. What is a pet trader? Yeah, well, everyone's like so used to the screens now that no one realizes that, that you know, back in the day, in the 90s, futures trading was done in the pits. And, you know, in America, there still are some pits. It's basically a pit is like a, it's like a grandstand of steps. It's like a round area. Some of them are rectangular. And it's just like steps going up like a grandstand, like a football, you know, you know, terrace. And it's round uh -huh. and it's just a bunch of guys standing on each step. So there's just guys around guys around guys. And you're all shouting and, and waving your arms in the air because it's all hand signals backing up what you're saying. You're, you're buying and selling, but in a very physical sense, you're physically buying and selling off each other. So it was a very intense, very stressful um, environment you know you, you're in a pit surrounded by literally 200 guys that are all shouting they're all you know 20 21 years old half of them are on cocaine 
Um, it's just a ridiculous place to spend most of your time. You know, you, you come out of there a bit strange. <laughs> so maybe that explains a lot about me. I don't know. <laughs> but that's what pit trading is. After three and a half years of that, I was like, fuck this shit. I got a ticket to New Zealand and that was me. I went traveling for six months, had the best time of my life and um, didn't come home for six years. So, so that's, that's what pit trading does to you. Got it. Like from where I stand, I guess like it makes sense because we take the pits as something related to gladiators. Mm -hmm. And now that you right. describe what you are doing, yes. it makes a lot of sense. Right, it builds right. character, I guess. Oh yeah. Because I mean, it's, it's it's an interesting place. You know, if you can survive in there, you you you've got tough skin. You know, you got thick skin because that first day, the first day, oh my god. I mean, the first day, I literally got thrown in, like, you literally get thrown into a pit of just howling fucking just monsters, just ridiculing you, laughing at you, just, oh, my God, it's, it's, some, it's something else. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is nice, I guess, because today, like, trading has become very, because of computers, there is that layer between you and the other exactly. traders. Exactly. It's so very now sanitized. Yeah, it's very sanitized now. To me, trading is, is just a very, it's a very guttural, it's a very emotional thing because to me, it, I remember how it was. So to me, it is a very confrontational, very aggressive thing. And I still, you know, I'm, when I'm trading, I'm just constantly talking to myself and swearing and just, you know, just, just constant nonsense coming out of my mouth because that's just the way uh -huh. you did in the pit. <laughs> wow, wow. So from there, you moved over to New Zealand. How long were you there? Six months, uh, I guess? Yeah, New Zealand. The plan for New Zealand was to, I just wanted to go walk through the forests and the national parks for six months. I just I'd had enough. I'd literally just had enough. So I went to New Zealand and I, that first six months, I literally spent three months of that first six months just living in the bush. I walked through, the first one I did, I walked across the Urawira National Parks, like a half a million acre wilderness. I, it took me 17 days to walk through it from one end to another. And after I'd done that, um, I just kept doing it. I went through every national park and forest park in New Zealand. So that's what uh -huh. I did there. And then after that, I, you know, I, I came home for a, like a little bit, but then just went traveling and just went Asia, you know, Africa. I was in Africa for a couple of years, Asia a couple of years. Just, I was ruined mm -hmm. after that. You know, you can't, you can't go back to normal life after that. <laughs> this is nice. And <laughs> um, when did you like first hear about Bitcoin? Um, I wasn't one of the early guys. I think, uh, I think, I can't be sure entirely. I think it was like 2014, 2015, something like that. I wasn't one of the, the you know, the real early guys. Um, and right away I didn't jump on it, you know, right away I didn't get it. You know, it was just like, oh, that's interesting, you know, and nothing then happened with it. It was just the seed was growing there. And then I discovered Ethereum and Ethereum just seemed to be a lot more useful than Bitcoin. Um, with it, the smart contracts and the ability to create your own token. And then I got my imagination started going, and then that was that. Then I just became obsessed. Uh, but I wasn't one of the yeah. early guys, unfortunately. Got it. But I guess, like, you were the, like, but I guess you were one of the early guys who got into Ethereum. Yeah. So like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, I got into the ICO thing just in time. I was one of the last ones that got in before they shut that show down. So that was good. <laughs> yeah. Nice to hear that. So uh -huh. when you like 
when you like first got the idea as to like okay so i want to build a cryptocurrency futures exchange and i guess like there weren't a lot of people even thinking about it because there were technical challenges right explaining futures to developers is hard yeah then there yeah. must have been legal challenges how did you like manage all of that well fortunately i didn't do any research at all so i went into it without any idea of how hard it would be so that was that was my secret you know other people that researched <laughs> it properly said hell oh, hell no so that was my advantage I, and then once i'd started i was just in it then you know so i just had to carry on it wasn't as you know predictably enough it was very difficult you know very complicated to build an exchange that can handle that kind of real time activity it's one thing building an exchange it's it's one thing that can handle you know thousands of people pressing the same button at the same time you know so um it was very difficult to really get a quality exchange i could have put in a shitty exchange together like a lot of people have done but i really needed this to be good because the 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 revenue model of this is is you know creating demand for a token and then being able to sell that token so the product that you build actually has to be good it actually has to create demand i can't just put any old exchange out there and say well that's what i said i was going to build there it is it needed to be good and to build something good is just very very difficult and i did i just didn't have those skills and that experience to do that that first team the development team i put together I mean individually each guy was you know a great programmer and I've got no problem with each one of those guys individually I just managed them wrong they weren't right for the job um the second team you know that was just a total disaster they just sucked and then the third time around you know most tech companies don't get a third chance you know you get one minute, maybe you'll get two but it's a third one is unheard of you know at this point I was yeah. just against the ropes you know I was like everyone just written me off um and I, but i just i just couldn't fail you know i'd taken money off every fucking person i knew to do this ico you know this failure was not an option so i discovered you know that smart deck wanted to do it and i just i just moved to russia you know i just moved to moscow became part of the development team i just said look guys we we got to get this right um and we did you know it was a struggle but we got it right in the end so it was it was very difficult um it took everything i had um in every sense of the word you know but you know we got through so it all worked out well <laughs> in the end but um it's not it's not something i would advise i would advise most people to do most people would would you know have difficulties too but it mildly i get it <laughs> <laughs> And like guess like it's very interesting when you say that like failure was not an option for a lot of these ICOs I guess they just wanted to raise money buy a house in maybe the Bahamas right. or like whatever exactly. island they have and they're gone Aha uh-huh. yeah and you know that I think that's what a lot of them did um I think a lot of them probably do get unfairly treated though I think a lot of those ICOs some like 90% of them from my time went bust Uh from what I know of it yeah. you know what I think a lot of them weren't scammers I think they were just unprepared they just didn't know what they were doing they didn't raise enough money the money they did raise just disappeared because it was all in ether yeah. you know there's just a lot of things and I think you know that a, a tech startup has a 90% chance of failure anyway which is basically what an yeah. ICO is 
So I think a lot of them, maybe they weren't scammers. You know, I think they were just unprepared. It's just very, very difficult to get a tech startup actually to the point where it can keep itself moving. Um, you've just got to be, you just, it's just got to be your obsession. It's just got to be the only thing that matters. You've just got to put it above everything else. And if you do that, you can succeed. But a lot of people won't do that, obviously. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nice of you to say that. I guess like, yeah, I would like tend to agree that not all of them were scammers, but yeah, they were pretty unprepared. And yeah. a lot of people were like unprepared. The people like building it, the marketing team behind yeah. it, development yeah. team behind it, it, it and so even many. the investors yeah. for a small part. Yeah, there's just so many factors that go into success and you've got to get them all right and you don't have too many mistakes up your sleeve before you run out of money. And that, that's the problem. Yeah. You know, you've got to be able to make all those mistakes and not go broke. You know, you've got to be able to learn from the mistakes but not go broke in the process. And it's, you know, it's yeah. a fine line. You know, making mistakes is kind of an important part of learning anything. You, you know, you can't figure anything out without two years of trying. You know, I don't think you're going to be good at anything, whether it's fishing, whether it's, you know, any, anything you mention, you've got to take two years to get good at it. Now, I'm getting into the, mm -hmm. you know, building a complex software, you know, fintech related project that's related, that hooks up to the blockchain. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it, there's just a lot of mistakes that are going to get made along the way. Um, you know, the team, you start off with a team that isn't ideal. Um, there's just many, many mistakes to be made. And unfortunately, most people don't survive those mistakes the way I do. Yeah. Well, definitely, and you, break up, and you like bring up an interesting point that is about hiring in technology. Like people who have been programming, people who have been trained maybe by their MBA degrees or whatnot to find the right talent and to manage them better, and they have failed a lot. And now we have someone like you who has been out there, like you did not like do these uh, courses of sorts as to like, okay, I will get an MBA degree, which teaches me how to, like, let's say, manage people better. Maybe you did not get a programming lesson. And here you are, managed three different sets of programmers. What has your experience been? And like, what would you like choose to suggest to people who are like going to hire certain like people from the technology sector? What would I suggest to them? Um, the, yeah. The, the thing that I realized is uh, just how important the, the team around you is. You know, I'd always been a loner, I guess, because as, as a futures trader and then, you know, a lone backpacker around the world and, and trading horses and, you know, just these are solitary pastimes. And so I'm not a good team player. I'm not a good team builder. I don't manage people well. Um, so that's a problem. I, I would say, you know, a lot of these people, you just got to find the right team. You just got to find the right people. It's as simple as that. And that is so difficult to do. It's not about what you know. It's about getting people that will really go that extra mile for you and, and have the skills and have the, the drive and the dedication and the balls to do what's necessary. And it's just not easy to find those people. You know, I've found a bunch of those people now, but it's taken me two and a half years. You know, this, this position I'm in now is very strong, but you know, it was it was a bit shaky getting here. You know, finding those people was difficult. So that that's what I would say. I, I would say find someone or some people that are very very good. Mm -hmm. Got it. So like, let me try to put it this way: like, when the first programmer was like, let's say, interviewing with you, 
what were the questions that you like asked them like how did you like find out that okay this is the guy that i want to hire um well the first time around it was you know it was the guy that had built our ico um token sale panel and he'd done a great job of that you know and so i thought well he's a programmer he's great let's let's make him the lead developer of the whole thing you know just just ridiculous really there wasn't really a proper process to it and you know but Again, he was a very talented programmer. He's done very good stuff, and he'd, he'd done telecom stuff that you know that was all about real-time things that can't fail, applications that can't fail. And he came with a team, so on paper it looked great. Um, I think I, the problem was they didn't have experience of building exchanges. That's the thing, you know. Mm -hmm. People need direct experience of things, and I think that was the problem. I think I think the biggest. The biggest thing is you've really got to get people with experience of, of that particular field. And I, I overlooked that. Mm -hmm. And I guess like it's not an easy task because exchanges before cryptocurrencies were like primarily handled by governments or the government bodies themselves. So uh -huh. like they had a lot of those resources that individuals or corporations don't have access to. Uh-huh. Sorry, I had to. Uh, sorry, mate. I had to send a text urgently then. To uh, sorry, can you repeat that question? I'm sorry, mate. I don't multitask. I'm a complete. I can't chew gum and walk. <laughs> Go on. It's okay. Can we do that again? It's that okay. question. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. So I like repeat my question. I was saying like it is not a small task to expect like cryptocurrency exchanges to be like running right off the bat. You take. You'd like take any of the ones that are like out there that people are talking about a lot. Like let's say somebody like Binance, even they make mistakes, right? They got hacked and they got they I guess lost something like forty million dollars mm -hmm. by a hack. That's a huge amount of money. And in the traditional space, like cryptocurrency exchanges, not crypto exchanges, but normal exchanges that trade like stocks and futures and whatnot, they are handled by governments or government bodies. They have the kind of that endless resource pits of sorts that they can like pull, like pull money out of. Individuals cannot do that. Corporations cannot do that, right? You guys don't have an endless like pit of money. And so like, yeah, it wasn't a small ask and you guys did it. And I guess you guys also went live about a month ago, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, April 27th. Yeah, the main net launched on April 27th. Definitely. So tell me like what happened 24 hours right before launch. <laughs> if you have any interesting tidbits about it, it's always like fun for a third party at least to talk about how your launch went. Right. And then we'll go over some stats. Well, uh, I was shitting myself the first 24 hours before launch because, you know, it just been such a build up to it. And, you know, just... I was, I was worried about some big crash in Bitcoin, just, you know, liquidating everybody and it would be a complete disaster. So I was just, I was just nervous uh, the, first, the first few hours and the first day, uh, but then, you know, gradually it, it became okay. And then, and it just started getting better and better. I, I was running my market makers, obviously, just to, you know, keep the, keep the, the market seeded with a little bit of volume. Uh, we could only let in the first 20 and then 50 people, so it was very quiet. Um, so we, it was a very much a soft launch, but then as we've let more people in each week, 
you know, the volume has increased nicely. The volumes just every day now we're having record volumes. Like literally, like today is literally our busiest day ever. Uh, the, the 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 exchange is working perfectly. Um, it's bulletproof. You know, the the price crashed today like seven hundred dollars or something. You know, yeah. um, I was I was on the ladder watching it. The whole thing worked as 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 it's supposed to. You know, we were like a one tick minimum spread the whole time as it was jumping up and down all over the place. So very very happy with with the quality of the product you know smart deck have, have produced something that is absolutely solid you know just and that that's such a big thing about it you know because you know the problem with bitmex is everything it works 99 percent of the time you know it's just the one percent of the time when everything happens that's the major problem yeah it's a major problem that it doesn't work then so very happy with the quality of the product um very happy that the concept just seems to have taken you know people just love the idea of zero fee trading you know and, and why wouldn't you and, yeah you know it's just a no-brainer and it, it actually turned out to be that way you know as we let more people in volumes increase you know everything just gets better so um just uh just very very happy with how it's gone in general really i'm just very relieved um it's it's been i couldn't have hoped for a better launch to be honest with you it's, it's gone better than I thought it would and so uh, what can I say <laughs> it's very nice and like how many people like do you have working on the exchange as of now um, right now I don't even know to be honest I think I've got like 64 people working for me now it's getting ridiculous we just um, we, we've got we're just on this mad hiring binge we've got a new um, operations team because obviously we didn't have an exchange before you know so um, yeah. We never really needed an operations team, so we've got that whole can of worms that we're figuring out there. We've got a new director of exchange operations. She's just running the whole show. Uh, we've got a new CTO. He's the guy who, um, he's, he's actually, for his, his previous uh, pro, uh, program that he built, he connected to the API of every futures and cryptocurrency exchange in the world. So that, that's our mm -hmm. CTO, you know, very, very familiar with the inner workings of every exchange in the world, the APIs, he's currently building our API. Um, so we got a lot of people that we're working with. The marketing that we're doing is, is you know, next level stuff. The stuff that people are gonna see us coming out with in the next month, two months, three months, um, it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of next level shit. The, the, the exchange is gonna get a lot of attention very soon. Um, the mm -hmm. development side of it, we're, we're building up in-house teams. We've still got Smart Deck. We're, we're hiring other remote, other teams that can do specific tasks for us. Uh, we're looking for all kinds of different um, developers. You know, if you if you're if you're at the top of your game and you know you want to work for something, you know, a company that's just really going places, that's got a lot of big plans, um, please contact us. Uh, we, we're just we're just we're just tearing forwards right now. Very very exciting plans. Um, a lot of people backing us. You know this isn't just all hot air. Um, and at the end of this month, I'm going to be dropping the new white paper, the new Digitex white paper that is going to outline everything that I'm talking about now. I'm just I'm just dropping hints here, saying big things are coming. I don't want to talk about it until the white paper's out. The white paper's coming the end of June. And in that, you're going to see what's coming and you're going to be blown away. That's all I can say. <laughs> mm -hmm. Really nice to hear that. And speaking of the Didex white paper, uh, in the older version, I read that uh, 
DGTX like token is an ERC-223 token. So is there any reason for that? Like how did you like come by it? Because not everybody ventures out of the safe ERC-20 space. Right, it was a mistake. I mean, to be honest, I mean, to be honest with you, it was a mistake. The idea of ERC-223 was that, um, you know, it saves some gas costs and there's, you know, it prevents it being sent to a wrong wallet in, in some certain circumstances. Yeah. You know, it's got, it's got some advantages. I mean, nah, we should have just gone with ERC-20 because the problem is that, you know, that different um, protocol, a lot of the decentralized exchanges, their smart contracts couldn't handle our our token. So we couldn't get listed on a bunch of different exchanges because we were ERC-223. So in that particular circumstance, if we had done it again, I would have, it's still ERC-20 compatible. It's still pretty much exactly the same. Yeah. It's just slightly different. So we should have actually just gone ERC-20. Okay, yeah. I get it. Because like from where I stand, like when ICOs like were all of the rage, in 2016 and 17 and everybody has said had their erc20 tokens and they were running their bounty bounty campaigns or whatnot people were like sending money directly to the contract addresses and losing their funds yeah so at least on paper it's really good yeah that's why we did it but in practicality it was a mistake mm -hmm. i guess maybe like something to do with developer support because well, ERC20 is like pretty much a plug and play like right now, right? Yeah. Just 70, like 70 lines of code. Right, yeah, just, just stick, with, stick with the main one. Stick with the main one if you can, usually. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. speaking about like cryptocurrencies, what are the kind of cryptocurrencies that you have invested in or think that have a potential in the future? Um... I mean, I've always been an Ethereum fanboy, you know, I think Ethereum's got, you know, places to go. I, I just think that the, develop, the developer community of Ethereum is very good. Um, Bitcoin, I'm, I've, I've read something, I became a Bitcoin maximalist, I think. I do, I do actually believe that Bitcoin's going to be a million dollars a token in my lifetime. I think, I, I think that's highly likely, actually. From the way I look at it now, I think it's highly likely. Um, I mean, the other ones, I mean, there's some, what was, what was the other one I was, I was interested in? I'm trying to think of it. Hey, what was it? No, there was one, uh, the die thing. Yeah, I like the stable coin. I like the idea of the stable coin thing, you know, actually, you know, being not, you know, just backed by, you know, like fiat or, you know, a corporation. I like the whole die thing, the way that works. It uses those collateral debt, collateralized debt positions to create a stable coin where even when the collateral is, is volatile, you know, it still works. So I like that one. Um, but, you know, generally I'm, I'm mainly just Ethereum and Digitex. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Nice to hear that. And um, moving over from cryptocurrencies to blockchains in general, like, are there any like blockchains that you think? are like maybe going to be take the world by storm next like we are we like already have the bitcoin we have ethereum what do you think like could be the next one? Oh, i don't know i don't know what would be the next one um i'm hoping the that ethereum gets their act together and figures out how to scale it um I don't know. They just seem to be taking such a long time. You know that we just seem to be losing momentum. We seem to be, 
you know, I don't know if they're going to do it. I think they are. I think if they just keep going, I think if they, you know, some of the smart deck guys went to that Japan conference and they came back saying that, you know, the scaling issues have, have been solved mathematically and now it's just a, mm -hmm. a case of, of actually writing the code, which is, you know, hugely complicated and stuff. But apparently the, the decentralized research guys were saying that Ethereum is on track and they are going to do it. So I would say it's going to be Ethereum, to be honest. It's just, it's just up there. It's, it's going to be Bitcoin, Ethereum, or, or something else. You know, it's not going to be Bitcoin. I, I would say it's going to be Ethereum actually becomes practically useful in the next, you know, 10 mm -hmm. years, 20 years. Got it. And but let's then, circle back to cryptocurrency exchanges. Yeah, I'm sorry? Sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. Go on. I was I was so, gonna so say I was, I was gonna say, but then what the fuck do I know? <laughs> <laughs> Go on. I do have maybe like know more about you in terms of what your what your outlook is, because a lot of the times, like every publication out there talks about, okay, what do you do? How do you do that? That's about it. We try to like find more about how did you get to be what you are. Uh -huh. So like that is very helpful to us and also to our readers. But yeah, let's circle back to cryptocurrencies and uh, cryptocurrency exchanges to be particular. Uh, whenever I think about cryptocurrency exchanges, I also hear about market makers or at least what they are called allegedly, like I guess they are liquidity managers of sorts. And there is a lot of like things going on behind the screens that uh, people like are not privy to, which is why they think that, oh, so running a cryptocurrency exchange is very easy. Let me try that. And then they burn and fall. <laughs> so could we like hear from you as to like, what goes on behind the scenes in terms of liquidity management? What are your markers and like, how do you manage it? Right, yeah, because I think this is why ever since April 27th, I've really been figuring this out fast. I think this is why most exchanges fail. Even if you come up with a technically stable product, even if it does what it says on the tin, you know, getting people onto that exchange is another thing entirely. Even if your marketing is good and you've got a big community, when you get them onto the exchange, the market making's got to be right because the, the market makers are the catalyst for everything. You know, the, the people are on there, they're waiting to do trades, but they, they have no confidence in your exchange yet. They don't know how it's going to move around. They don't know how easy it's going to get filled and stuff. So you need those market makers initially to seed it. And those market makers need to be fast and loose. They need to be just always there, no matter what the price is going to do. They need to just always be willing to take any position and they can never, ever stop. And, you know, you can get yourself into some big liabilities doing that. And But that's that's what you have to do. Basically, you have to basically say to all comers, I'll take all trades and do your thing. And market making really is the, the, the key. It really is the secret to a successful exchange. And most exchanges don't get the market making right. They either don't have the ability to do it themselves or they bring in market making companies which are expensive and, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to diss the market making industry, but I mean, come on. I mean, I wouldn't yeah. trust one of those guys to fucking go to the store for a pint of milk for me. You know, it's like they, they just there's just something about them. They just they they're just very they're just very tricky. You know, you don't really know what they're doing. And 
I just don't want that kind of thing going on on my exchange, to be honest. I don't want to invite big institutions to be market makers. I don't want to give them preferential treatment. I don't want to give them last look. Um, you know, last look is like the dirty little secret of, of, of Forex and things where market makers are given, you know, 100 milliseconds. Whenever someone hits their bids or offers, they're given 100 milliseconds to look around other exchanges, see if anything's going on, see if they can get rid of that position. If they can, they'll take it. If they can't, they've got 100 milliseconds to cancel their order. There's all kinds of little dirty little tricks go on with market making. And it really does make it much, much harder for the retail person to succeed. So my, my thing is I understand market making. I've been a trader my whole life. I don't want to get these third-party companies in that I would have to pay anyway. I would prefer to just get my own market making going and the money that I would have to pay to these institutions, I'll have the market makers lose to my traders. You know, I'll like be losing money on purpose through bidding and offering, through maintaining liquidity at all times. So that money is going directly to the traders instead of to a market-making company. So I think the secret, if anyone wants to start their own cryptocurrency exchange, the secret really is in the market-making. You've got to get the market-makers running right from day one. They've got to be highly liquid, um, and you've got to have plenty of money to operate them. That's probably the other thing. People get to the point where they launch the exchange. It's like, finally, thank God we built this thing. They don't really have a lot of money left. You know, now is yeah. when it all starts. And this is another big advantage I had with, with Digitex. You know, the money that we raised, we spent it all on, on development. We were, you know, just trying to just get through. It was a survival thing for a period there. But then when we launched, I got 100 million fucking Digitex to play with. You know, we've got our own native currency. So we launched and I got millions of dollars worth of tokens to do market making with. So I can create these really great, really thick markets that just are always tight, tight, you know, one tick spread, whatever the conditions are, I can always make sure there's, you know, bids and offers and, you know, and I'm doing that. And that's why the exchange is getting so good. That's why everybody's happy. And you know what? The thing is, I'm realizing that even though I'm setting these market makers to, to be like this, to give a lot of good fills, to keep the market moving, to just be that catalyst, and they're constantly hemorrhaging money by doing that, um, the liquidation engine, on the other side of it, that liquidates traders when we have these sharp movements, it turns out the liquidation is make the liquidation engine, the system is making, the system gains are covering what the market makers are losing. So it's actually completely sustainable. I can actually crank the market makers up. The way the market makers are, are working now, I can actually make them faster and looser than they currently are. And I'm thinking that as more and more people come in, and as we get more and more system gains through liquidations, and as we increase our leverage from 10x to 100x, which we're gonna do next month, I'm thinking I can get the market making really, really cranking so that the, the market makers are consistently losing, you know, hundreds of thousands of Digitex per day to the traders. The traders will be in there competing for that money. You know, in, in one sense, I see it, sorry if I'm going on about this, because like market making is just so, so important. So the way I see market losses through market making, the way I see it almost is it's like mining. You know, if you know, miners come along and they mine for a cryptocurrency and just by doing random mathematical calculations and they compete with each other and the winners get the cryptocurrency, right? 
Well, it's the same thing with ours. Once it becomes common knowledge that our market makers are losing, you know, three, four hundred thousand tokens a day, then people will come in to compete for those four hundred thousand tokens. And how do they compete? They have to buy Digitex tokens and they have to provide add liquidity to our exchange and they have to be active. You know, they create the thing that we want them to create. And yes, they're competing for those tokens, but by doing so, we're creating demand for the token. It's it like it kind of mm-hmm. like feeds itself. So it's kind of a very holistic thing in the end. It's it's more I don't know that it's 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 kind of Market making is just a very, it's an art. It really is an art. And you get it right and your exchange will just blow up. If you get it wrong, it'll just be crickets. So that's my that's my thoughts on market making. Got it. And like, I guess there's a difference between a lot of these cryptocurrency exchanges and the ones like yours. It's the futures, like a futures contract. So some of us like understand what a futures contract looks like in the general market. We understand that the normal cryptocurrency market is mostly like a spot exchange. But what does a Bitcoin futures contract like look like on your exchange, uh, Digitex, as well as like if you want to compare it to some other exchange as well? Um, well, a Bitcoin futures contract is basically a futures contract is just basically a promise. It's a promise to buy or sell something at a, at a fixed date in the yeah. future at a price you agree on now. Um, so, you know, the only difference with our exchange is that we use our own native token, the Digitex token, as the native currency of the exchange. So you you need that to have to put in your account balance. The profits and losses are in Digitex. The margins you post are in Digitex. So it's a slightly different contract than others because you're you're trading on the price of Bitcoin, but you're making and losing Digitex tokens. So our futures contract is is different from any other futures contract. But the Mm -hmm. flip side of that, the advantage of it is that you can trade it like a complete maniac, and you don't get to you don't trade you don't pay any transaction fees on any trades ever, and that really is just people don't realize how important that is people think you know a 0.1% you know charge commission rate on your trading is it's so tiny 0.1% how could that possibly make any difference it's you know it's like the casino you know the casino has 30 37 numbers on the wheel and they pay you out at 35 to 1 and you think oh that's close enough that doesn't matter that, that difference, 37 numbers, but they pay you 35 to 1, that pays for the whole building. That pays for the staff, the electricity, everything, and the profits. You get the tiniest edge working against you, and you're done for. You, you better be damn good to beat even the tiniest, tiniest edge working against you, because that tiniest edge compounds mm-hmm. the more you do. Um, with our exchange, it's literally the opposite. With the way our market makers are working, they're programmed to literally just constantly be hemorrhaging money. On our exchange, it's the flip side. There's actually a small edge working in your favor. Our, our traders, you know, if, as long as you're not one of the ones that gets liquidated, which is a different style of trading, the short-term traders mm-hmm. that won't get liquidated, those guys collectively, you know, win this, this money every day between them. And they compete amongst themselves as to mm-hmm. who gets that money that the market makers are losing. But it's, it's an edge. It's an actual edge working in your favor. You know, and, and the more mm-hmm. trades you do, the more you're going to be exposed to that edge. And the more trades you do, you're not paying any transaction fees. So our exchange is just going to become, and this, this is played out, this is bared out by 
the way the initial figures are coming now, as we let more people in, the volumes go up and up and up. And people are becoming very, very active traders, as I expected they would be. You know, we've created this paradise for just ultra short-term scalping. You know, just taking one tick, you know, breaking even, lose a tick, make a tick, break even. You know, this style of trading that just isn't viable on other exchanges, it's really taking off on our exchange and people are really getting into it. And as we let more and more people in, we can only let 100 people in a week at the moment for the, for the rest of this month. And then in July, I think we're opening it up to the public properly. And that's when it's just going to it's just going to blow up in July because the way that the initial people are using it, it's like I say, it's going better than I expected it to. So very, very excited for the full public launch in, in July. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about users, we like also want to talk about user experience because there is this like difference in terms of what a developer or a programmer might think is going to be user friendly and what the user actually finds to be like user friendly or the word on the street called like intuitive. Mm -hmm. So like how do you like guys take care of that? Like how like intuitive has your exchange proved to be for the users? Well, well, the first users that we've got on there, I think we've got 420 users on there now. We're getting another 100 in on Friday. These are all the guys that are really mad keen to get in. These are sending begging letters. These are just, these are just like begging us to let them in. So these guys get it right away. They, they've just been, their Digitex community through and through. Uh, they love everything about it. Um, they get it right away. How it's going to be to just the normal people that we're trying to get into this is, is a different mm -hmm. matter. Um, we, we have done some research. We do find that some, a lot of people are slightly confused. You know, the, the interface can look a little daunting if you're not a trader. So, you know, we are aware of that. We've got, and we just hired a new UX guy in, in Kiev. Uh, he's he like a, a UX UI guy. He's, he's putting together all the, the user experience, um, just, just that whole side of it for the new, um, Oh, I can't talk about that yet because that's in the white paper. But anyway, we've got, we got this expert UX guy who's really putting a lot of thought into, you know, how everything should work together and how easy it should be to use and how intuitive it is. And we're also starting the Digitex Academy too, which is um, going to be a lot of courses and, and, and just general instruction on how to do everything related to cryptocurrency and cryptocurrency trading. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I guess like for someone who like, let's say has a hundred dollars to trade, what would you suggest like to him? Like, do you want him to trade futures or do you want him to trade, let's say on the spot market, assuming that he has a 50% win to lose ratio? I, I, would, ratio. I, I, would, I would always say futures because futures is just highly charged. You know, you've got leverage with futures and you can go short. I mean, you can do kind of margin trading on the spot markets and go short, I guess, but you know, futures is just a lot more, just a lot more agile. It's just, you know, you can, you don't need to understand anything about the market when you're trading futures. This is the thing, you know, everyone says trading is so complicated and you've got to be so intelligent. I've never known anything about the things that I'm trading on. German government bonds, not a clue. Horses, not a clue. You know, now I'm trading on Bitcoin. I, I don't know if Bitcoin's going up or down. How, how would I know that? You know, you're just scalping. You're just... You're just looking for these small micro little patterns and you're just trying to steal ticks. And you've got that bid offer 
thing on your side and you haven't got an edge working against you. So you 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 know you've just you just got patience and discipline, you're gonna grind it out. You know, you can just you can grind it out. That that's always been the way I've I've traded, just grinding it out one tick at a time without any underlying knowledge of the instrument that I'm trading on. And that's the advantage of futures as far as I'm concerned. You know, especially Bitcoin futures that are just 24-7, non-stop, always moving. You know, you can just log in anytime, day or night, you know, and just have a, you know, two, three, four hour trading session. And if you're patient and disciplined and you're not, you do it right, you know, you're going to grind out money. You just are. So that, to me, is a very exciting position to be in. You know, like I say, I, I traveled the world for, for years just, you know, out of internet cafes trading um, various different things from various different computers. And it's a very, very free life. You know, the life that you live as a trader, once you crack it, if you can just make two, three hundred bucks a day, um, that's a life-changing amount of money for, you know, a lot of people. That, that changes yeah. everything. If you can consistently make $200 a day, if you can consistently make $100 a day, that changes everything for hundreds of millions of people. You know, I, I, think, I think, you know, there is no edge against you on our exchange. There is no reason you should lose. There's no reason why you should win particularly. There's no reason why you should lose though. You know, so I think, I think there's a massive, massive market out there of, of traders to be that don't even know that they're going to enjoy trading yet. They don't even know that they're going to be good at it. You know, it's so far it's been like this elite kind of pastime. It doesn't need to be. You know, retail, the, the retail trading market could be massive, like really massive. And I think, you know, we're going to, we're going to reach over into the world of gambling and we're also going to re reach over into the world of online gaming and esports. I believe those audiences are absolutely primed to become cryptocurrency trading audiences. They just don't know it yet, but they're going to be. They're all going to be on Digitex. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And when we talk about users, like there is always this uh, lingering question about community and managing your community. So like because you guys have a huge community, you might have a lot of insights as to like how you manage your communities because there are people who speak different languages, people who have different expectations and then because of the whole ICO like boom and bust people are a bit a, a bit apprehensive like at least the people who invested early on so like how do you take care of your community how many people do you have managing it is there a particular platform that you really like um, we, we've just always been very strong on well all social we've been very strong on but we've always from the very start had a full-time Telegram team, you know, 24-7, you can go into our Telegram and you speak to, you know, a Digitex employee that knows what they're talking about. So really, yeah, we just threw money at it. You know, we were just, we just manned the, the decks and we're just constantly doing that more and more. You know, like our support now is, you know, very similar to how, you know, Telegram is. There's, there's constantly people on support 24-7 for, you know, anything you want. So, yeah. You just got to throw money at that, really. Um, the, the community just needs—you just need to pay it attention. You know, the more attention you pay on something, that just the more the better it is. You know, so that—that's the principle we went with, and we just always made sure we had people on social to just constantly engage with whoever's there. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I guess there are two different like camps. One of them believes that okay, just focus on building. 
and we will answer the community later. And then there is this other group of like people who believe that, okay, if there is a community, we should be thankful to them and cater to their questions like right or like rather as soon as they like ask those questions. So which camp would you like put yourself in? Yeah, the second one for sure, because the community is what's the valuable part. The product isn't the valuable part. You know, without, without people on it, the product is nothing. You know, it's, it's the people that are the value. So, you know, we started off marketing right away from day one when, you know, we were years away from actually releasing the product. Um, we didn't plan mm -hmm. on it taking us this long to release the product. It was supposed to be Q4 2018. But, yeah, we, we went hard on, you know, nurturing the community and, and doing a lot of pre-marketing before the product is even ready. You know, that whole thing that says, you know, just build a good product and they will come. Eh, yeah, maybe they will, maybe they won't. You know, you can't leave these things to chance. It's, it's better that you make sure yeah. they come. <laughs> so, Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Got it. And when I talk about, like, communities, like, uh, do you have a community for uh, people who speak a certain language, for example? There is yeah, a bunch. I, I, I've lost track of how many Telegram channels we've got now. It's on our, it's on our website. Okay. You can see them. There's a whole bunch of them. There's got to be at least 12 or maybe more. We've got Indonesian. We've got, you know, Brazilian. we got all kinds of Malaysian. We've got everything. Russian, mm -hmm. uh, Greek, Italian. I, I don't even know. Chinese. We've we got a bunch. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about creators like do you see any pattern emerging as to like, okay, so this is a geography that uh, indulges in a lot of cryptocurrency trading or like, is it just diffused across the world? Um, you mean our typical user? Yeah, your typical user, where is he most likely to reside? Um, yeah, they're just everywhere. I mean, we just, it's just, we look at our stats for email opens, it's literally just everywhere. Um, we're, we're strong in the UK, uh, we're strong in uh, Italy, you know, we're strong in Asia, you know, Brazil likes us, there's, there's just all, there's certain places that do pop up, uh, but yeah, they're everywhere. Um, and, and like I say, the kind of target audience that we're going for soon, um, we, we really want to zone, you know, zone in on those, those young gamer types, because I think they're just mm -hmm. they're just prime for cryptocurrency adoption. They're just gonna love it. You know, they're young. They're predominantly male. They're very techy. They spend a lot of time online. They don't mind spending money online. You know, I've just described your ideal cryptocurrency user right there. You know, we yeah. we give them you we give them gamers products that will appeal to them that will get them trading, um, and they will be all over it. You know, and the marketing ideas we've got for getting to those people are really really good. And we're going to be unleashing those soon. And, you know, just a little, little thing, little ideas like I've got. I want to create like some real advanced kind of like gamer style trading interface that's got real high-end graphics. And you need like a gaming console to even trade on there. or You know, things like that. And then when virtual reality gets good, let's have some kind of 3D trading UI where, you know, like... Just, just crazy shit that just people that kids that not kids but just like young guys you know are just gonna be all over you know they're just gonna love it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And cryptocurrencies like have I guess like primarily been something that is like let's say absorbed 
in a better manner by people from our generation or maybe the ones that are like going to succeed us. But what about the generation that preceded us? Like people who, let's say, are already 50 years old, are 60 years old, people in those age categories. Uh, I think we're going to get one or two of them, but I don't think as a, as a demographic we're going to do very well with them. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. you know, they just, they can't open their fucking email, can they? They just, they just, um, it's difficult. It's the, mm-hmm. the growth market is in, you know, the, the millennials, is in the, you know, the 18-year-olds and, and those people. Yes, we've got, you know, some 50 and 60-year-old, uh, you know, customers and users, but um, it's, it's difficult to get those people. The, the, you know, cryptocurrency is still very technical. Crypto, cryptocurrency UX is, cryptocurrency UI is awful. You know, the cryptocurrency industry is very young at the moment. It's dominated by the actual blockchain developers. And those blockchain mm-hmm. developers don't know shit about marketing. They don't know shit about UX. There's a lot of things they don't know about. And that's, you know, it's still very early days for cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency still needs a few layers of, of sanitation to, you know, make it, you know, it has to come loaded on your phone where you can just press a button and you've bought some crypto, you know, and you press another button and you've sent it. You know, it has to be that kind of level for the masses to really adopt it. And, but that will come. You know, this is a huge opportunity yeah. now. If you can be asked figuring it out now, um, it's only going to get bigger. I don't see how it can go anywhere. Where's cryptocurrency going? It can only, it's like the internet. I mean, in 20 years' time, you just cannot imagine the effect that cryptocurrency is going to have on, you know, the payments industry, the, you know, exchange industry, the, you know, the stock exchange industry. It's, it's just so many things. The real estate industry, you know, it can really, it can really shake things up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when we talk about cryptocurrency, it's like no conversation is like complete. Without talking about lost wallets, lost keys, a bunch of Ethereum or even Bitcoin wallets are just like lost. The wallets were created, but because the keys were lost and hence the cryptocurrency in them is lost. How do you like choose or like how do you plan to solve this problem on your exchange? Um, I mean... You know, people lose cash too. There's probably billions of dollars in loose change behind people's sofas. You know, it's just cash Cash can get lost, right? I mean, if that's, yeah. to me, I see that as, as the value of cryptocurrency. You know, the fact that it can get lost, the fact that someone can steal it, I mean, that to me shows that it has value, that it has use. You know, it's not some abstract idea. Um, I think the fact that criminals use Bitcoin and cryptocurrency for payments, I think that's the best fucking advertisement you can have for it because, you know, it's just a great system that works when people don't trust each other and it still works. You know, that has, that has value. It's like, you know, the, you know, the money of the internet. So yeah, it's a shame that, you know, that, that wallets and keys do get lost, but you know, cash gets lost all the time. Cash gets stolen all the time. Um, it's just, unfortunately, it's just one of those things. If people can, you know, if I've got a big wad of money, I'm careful with it. You know, I don't just leave it hanging around. You know, I'm, I keep an eye on it. Uh, so people have just got to do the same. Got it, got it. And like now that we are approaching the uh, one hour mark and the end of the podcast, 
I'd like to ask you a couple of questions about your roadmap as to like what is it that you plan to do next and like what are your vision for like let's say five years in the future. Well, uh, well, you know what I got planned next, don't you? You you know exactly what I got planned next. <laughs> um, well, you know we've got that that. Um, you know, we've got the Futures Exchange, which has been a very successful launch. It's, you know, zero fee, requires the use of Digitex tokens. So, you know, that creates demand for the token. Um, I just realized that as, as the CEO, my role is creating demand for the token. It's not building a Futures Exchange or operating a Futures Exchange. That's part of it. But my primary role is building, is creating demand for the token. So if a Futures Exchange can do that, then what could... A whole range of other related trading and gambling related products that all have the same kind of theme of zero fees and no house edge but you just have to use Digitex what if I had ten of them just like the futures exchange what would that do for the demand of the token you know so I can't say anymore because I want to I want to drop this all in the new white paper with specifics so I'm just heavy heavily hinting at the moment that there are some big things uh, more utility for the token coming, not just zero fee futures trading. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you for that, and we'll be like uh, looking forward to hearing it when you like uh, decide to launch. And we'd like to end with this uh, small question as to like, do you have any message for our readers? Like Hacker Noon is read by over six million people on a monthly basis, mostly technologists. Let us know what you think. Oh, you get six million a month, do you? Yeah. Ah, look at you. Huh? Uh, well, then I guess uh, a message for them: buy Digitex. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 seriously, um, a message for them. Um, I, I don't, th- I don't really have any particular message. I, my, my just general message to the world is that you know I'm just glad I've, I've gotten as far as I've gotten. Um, I've got big plans coming. Uh, keep an eye on Digitex. We've, we've got huge plans coming um very exciting stuff to come so that that's really the only message i would give in general to be honest with you i guess i'm very self-centered it's all about digitex <laughs> we have to be like that it makes sense well exactly and thank you for being exactly and, yeah and thank you for being on the hacker Note podcast it was a pleasure having you with us all right thanks mate i really enjoyed it was that an hour already yeah that, that just flew by right Yeah. All right. Thanks. It happens when we're having fun. Really enjoyed it. Thank you.